today on Ag News Daily. I would say this, you know, we have seen the USDA cut soybean exports the last two reports, um, and I think very justifiably so. They might have to cut it one more time. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, what's going on? Hmm, not much going on today, Mike. What's going on with you? Not a whole lot, but we don't have, uh, or we do have another voice to introduce on the podcast. Of course, intern Ashton Carr is with us. Ashton, what's new down in Texas? Nothing really new going on. Just kind of hanging out and waiting to see what kind of news you guys are following today. All right. Well, folks, stay tuned for Edge of Your Seat Entertainment here from Ag News Daily. Um, I also have nothing going on. So I guess Yes, let's just dive right into the news because, of course, we will be talking markets. It is hashtag Market Monday on today's episode. We'll be joined by Ted Seifert, Chief Strategist from Zaner Ag Edge. But in the meantime, I am keeping an eye on something that we will talk about briefly with Ted. There's been an ongoing story. Well, this has been a four-month, five-month story in the world of meat, which is slaughter pace. We have seen the slaughter pace continue to ramp up on both pork and slaughter. We're getting within a stone's flow stone's throw, rather, of historic slaughter paces for this time of year. However, there was an interesting story released earlier today. Uh, There's an article that this came, or at least these statements, came from the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union. This is the UFCW. This is the union that represents meatpacking plant workers across the country. According to them, 30 to 50 percent of meatpacking employees were absent Last week, uh, we continue to see illnesses, uh, you know, coronavirus you know, setbacks, and all these other things are still plaguing the meat industry. The reason I thought this was fascinating was because, despite having a third to a half of meat packing plant workers absent last week, we got very close to the slaughter pace we saw a year ago in both pork and beef last week, at least according to early estimates. This tells me that we have a ton of capacity left in the meat industry as more folks start showing up to work. Because, of course, as employees are absent, line speeds are slowed down. You know, one worker is covering more territory, so to speak, and that impacts slaughter output. So as this coronavirus thing clears out over however much longer that's going to take, I think we're going to see a lot more potential for beef and pork and turkey and poultry. Of course, the union represents workers in in all those capacities to make it to our dinner plates. And that'll be interesting to see how the market adjusts to that, Delaney. It certainly will. And we're also watching to see how the market adjusts to the EPA's announcement, or yeah, I guess you could call it an announcement, uh, that basically they were going around or circumventing the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decision to use dicamba. So we saw about four different groups filed with the Ninth Circuit Court on uh, June 8th, I believe was the date, after EPA basically said that, eh, you can go ahead and use over-the-top dicamba registrations. And so now we are seeing the court directed the EPA to file a response as to why they are allowing that by Tuesday, tomorrow, June 16th at 5 p.m. And so then we'll watch the petitioner groups have about two days after that to file their reply. Essentially, the way I understand it is these four groups, four plus groups, are are trying to figure out why the EPA is being allowed to vacate that over-the-top usage. And I think they're trying to enforce it so that no one can use dicamba. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the ruling. So yeah, I guess yeah, I, we're fighting for supremacy here, judicial branch versus executive branch. And I, I mean, yeah, be a precedent. The judicial branch wins if it's not allowed. So I don't know if they're going to have to appeal to the Supreme Court for grievance. I don't know how this is going to go. It's going to be something we're going to watch all summer. Yeah, I don't really understand enough about the I, I thought that every balance or excuse me, every uh, branch of the government was balanced equally. Right. And the executive is is balanced by the judicial. OK. Oh, I gotcha. I follow now. And then, you know, so then if if the EPA wants to fight this, my understanding is they have mm-hmm. to take it to the Supreme Court and, you know, hear what they'd have to say. And I don't think they're taking any more cases for this year. So then we'd have to wait till next year. And in the meantime, the Ninth Circuit circuit ruling would stand unless mm-hmm. they can get an injunction somehow. I, yeah, That's where we get out of my league. But Ashton, what stories are you watching today? I have a little bit of a pick-me-up today. So last month, if you did not know, devastating floods destroyed homes and businesses throughout Michigan. And during the middle of a global pandemic, 2020 has been a crazy year, and this just kind of adds to it for those in Michigan, but approximately 10,000 people were forced to evacuate their homes during the rising waters, and many have still not returned to their homes, unfortunately. But to help those that have been affected by these floodwaters, the United Dairy Industry of Michigan, along with United Way and Domino's Pizza, distributed pizza to shelters in Michigan, and pizza was also delivered to frontline construction and flood protection workers in the tri-state area, or in the tri-county area. Area, excuse me. And so um, I just thought it was a little bit encouraging, of course, because there's so much craziness going on right now, and especially in Michigan where they received those floodwaters. So it was just a little bit of a pick me up on this Monday afternoon. Absolutely. It's nice to get a piece of good news. And whoa, segue, professional segue here. I bet <laughs> a lot of those pizzas are topped with pepperoni. And pepperoni in China has gotten a lot more expensive over the past two years, thanks to the outbreak of African swine fever. So we didn't talk about this very much because there has been a lot of this floating around, but now it seems like something is gaining traction. This is a vaccine for African swine fever. It has never existed before. ASF has been devastating for, uh, well, for at least a century now that we're, I'm aware of. And back in March, uh, Chinese researchers at the Harbin Veterinary Research Institute, which is part of the Chinese Academy of Ag Sciences, said they had developed a vaccine that was safe and effective in lab tests. Well, Clinical trials were approved. Those trials are now underway on 3,000 pigs in three different locations. And the vaccine in early trials appears to be safe. And uh, so this is Mm. a big move to the upside. Um, This is one of those things that could drastically change the shape of the hog industry going forward if African swine fever can be wiped out. Of course, it's devastated herds in China, which is what we've talked the most about because they have the most hogs. But it has absolutely devastated hog industries in Eastern Europe as well. So I know a lot of places would love to see a vaccine. We'll continue to keep an eye on this. Um, We don't know when these trials are going to be complete, but they are being rushed since there is so much pressure to come up with a vaccine there in China. Well, speaking of China, we're going to talk about Chinese purchases with Ted coming up here in just a little bit. But a quick update I was reading this morning looking at total soybean purchases being sent and bought by China. Typically pre-trade war, so God, that's been 
you know, years now, um, soybean exports accounted for about 51% of all U.S. ag exports to China. Following the trade war here, kind of where we currently sit, we saw that really drastically stalled. But to date, 2020 soybean sales to China measured in dollars are still the lowest amount in five years, even considering all of the recent sales we've seen here over the past month of soybean shipments heading to China. The one thing I don't know if this article, this article doesn't address it, but they don't share with us whether or not they're counting those purchases that are meant to be made in the 2021 marketing year, if that's part of that five-year number that they've calculated or not. I, I think it's not part of that number, but I'm not positive. It would make sense if it weren't, since they won't be being shipped in this marketing season. Right, right. I would imagine that's what they're looking at. And that is something that Ted is going to talk about in just a little bit. So listeners, stay with us. But before we jump over, I've got one other piece of news to share. And this is something we've, again, talked about quite a bit on this podcast, the beef export market. Brazil jumped into a huge position exporting beef to China last year. And one of China's main beef importing partners is Australia. Well, the Australians and the Chinese haven't been seeing eye to eye on a number of issues lately. We've seen the Chinese throw a giant tariff on Australian barley. We've seen them restrict Australian wheat imports. Now, Australia is lowering lowering their forecast of beef exports into China by 1.5% in the 2021 marketing year. They are concerned that uh, China will continue to crack down on Australian exports. They're concerned that China will continue looking elsewhere, notably South America, since they really, due to the trade war, made a bunch of inroads into uh, that continent over this last year. But uh, they're certainly looking to partner less from Australia. Now, I do wonder if China is going to meet their phase one commitments Maybe they'll buy a little bit more from the U.S., but who knows? Yeah, who knows? They're such a wild card. You never, you, we can't predict what they're doing. No, no, we can't. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, Ash, do you guys have any other news we need to talk about before we dive into the markets? I don't. Uh, I had just one other piece I wanted to bring up because I be, because I forgot to bring this up on Friday, but we saw that. There is a bill going on right now in the Senate put forth by Senator Thune and a few others co-sponsoring the bill that would essentially change. And they've done this in years past, so I don't think it's any big surprise, but change the dates that uh, livestock are able to graze on cover crop ground and some of that ground that's protected until I think November 1st. So the bill would essentially raise that up and allow um, cattle farmers to get on that ground a little sooner. Oh, good. You know, they do. They, they address this every year. Why don't they just make it permanent? I don't know. I, I, I feel like we talk about it every year about this time, but whatever. Yeah. Are they bumping it up to like September 1? I think that was last year's date. Yeah, that's um, the goal right now, but who knows? All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. We know a lot of folks out there grazing livestock, yes. particularly in the Dakotas, are probably yep. going to see some cover crop acres seeded down. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of down, we got the grain markets. Corn and soybeans lower on the day. Uh, wheat actually higher. Livestock complex also higher. So is dairy. The weakest of the dollar we'll discuss with Ted might be providing some tailwinds. Looking at the markets today, 
and our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. If you've got uh, needs when it comes to managing your market risk, check out their website in, in their name, agmarket.net. In the corn market, July contract down three quarters of a cent at 329 and a quarter. December down one and a half. Finished the day at 341 and a half. Soybeans lower on the day. The July down two and a quarter at 869 even. November down three and three quarters. Closed at 876 even. Wheat higher on the day. The July up two and three quarters at 504 and three quarters. December new crop up three quarters of a cent. Finished at 517 and a half. Looking over at the world of livestock. August live cattle up 67 and a half cents. Closed at $96 even. The October up 65, finished at 98.65. Peter cattle, August up seven and a half cents, closed at 131.17.50. September up 10 at 132.57.50. Lean hogs also moved higher on the day, the July up 60 cents to 52.27. The August up 62 and a half to close at 55.27.50. Looking over at dairy, that rally is back on track. June uh, class three milk futures up 18 cents at 20.60. The July up a Gave it 72 cents on the day to close at 1926. Without further ado, let's dig into these numbers in more detail with our friend Ted Seifert. Well, folks, it is hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, and we are joined by the chief market strategist up here at Zener Ag Hedge, Mr. Ted Seifert. Ted, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you guys today? Not too shabby at all. I tell you what, Ted, before we dive into the specifics of what's happening in the grain and agriculture markets, I want to hit one of the big themes that we haven't talked about a whole lot on the podcast, and I think you'll be able to shed some insight for us. Okay. And this is the weakness in the U.S. dollar. We've seen the dollar now on a, well, five or six week downtrend popped up a little bit at the tail end of last week. And today it seems like we're back moving to the downside, should provide some tailwinds for commodities, but What's happening with the dollar? Why are we seeing this protracted sell-off? Yeah, you know, so the dollar's been under pressure for a few weeks now. Um, and, and a lot of that obviously has to do with the fact that we are adding a ton of stimulus uh, in light of the COVID-19 situation and the shutdowns that we've been seeing. So the Fed and uh, really all of government has been trying to find ways to inject money into the economy. When you do that, you create more of a money supply that puts pressure on uh, on the dollar, just like corn. When there's more corn to be had, more supply of corn, the prices tend to go down. So uh, once again, we're seeing that happen with the U.S. dollar. Uh, and like you said, you know, late last week, Thursday and Friday, we had a nice bounce off of the uh, the lows that we had seen, the recent lows that we had seen, but we were unable to really follow through on that here on Monday. So longer term, we were due for a corrective bounce in the dollar. We had that. I keep seeing on TV all day that they are looking for new and creative ways to throw money, more money into this economy. I think the U.S. dollar has more downside potential. And as you mentioned, that could be a very good thing for commodities as a whole, but specifically agricultural commodities, because there are things that we export. And when you have a lower dollar, that allows other countries to have a currency advantage uh, and come in and buy things for cheaper. So, Ted, with that in mind, we're not seeing a bounce in the, well, I guess we're seeing it on the wheat side. We're not seeing it in the corn market today. We're not seeing it in soybeans. What's happening in the corn market? We broke back through some technical levels. Are you kind of freaking out here or are we just seeing a little seasonal dip? No. Uh, I mean, look, corn ended the day really relatively well. You know, I mean, you look at uh, July corn only down three quarters of a cent. Uh, and that was, you know, more than or almost four cents off the lows. 
so yeah, we had that initial push. Now that was coming from a, a couple of reasons. One, you had a, the beginning of Sunday night into Monday morning, you had a, a big risk off day going on. You had crude oil down almost two bucks at one point. You had the stock market, uh, you know, the Dow down almost 800 points at one point. All of that really came back very well throughout the day. And corn kind of responded to that as well and, and did something similar. Uh, now, I think why corn didn't go positive on the day, like crude oil did, for example, uh, was because some of the weather forecasting models, in particular the European forecast model, has a bit more rain in the forecast for this upcoming weekend. And that would be very, very beneficial for some areas, especially out west. So that was a little bit of a damper for corn. Um, but overall, that chart, to me, still looks really very good. Seasonality tendency is still higher. You've got the funds really very short in corn at a time of year where they usually don't want to be. Um, and honestly, you know, I, I think when as we start talking more about acreage, that'll be a big report at the end of the month. I think there's going to be some ideas of lower corn acreage, uh, maybe not lower bean acreage, but lower corn acreage. I think our balance sheets are going to start getting better than what they've been. Uh, maybe the biggest carryover numbers we're going to see are, are possibly behind us. So I see a story that could be getting better in corn. Now, I don't think it's a bullish story in corn. It could potentially be a bullish story in soybeans, but I don't think it's a bullish story in corn. I just wonder if uh, 340 December corn is maybe a little bit cheaper than what it needs to be, especially since we still have the risk of this growing season still in front of us. Yeah, and Ted, I want to talk acreage numbers because we have the June WASD behind us now where attention is turning to the end of the month here for what we see the USDA releasing on June 30th for crop progress and planting numbers. What do you anticipate happening for corn acres? What do you think? Do you think the USDA is going to do anything on this report to adjust that? Yeah, so um, the report that you're talking about at the end of the month uh, on June 30th is the USDA's planted acreage report. We also get quarterly grain stocks on that same day. Uh, planted acreage is the number that the USDA will use for acreage for pretty much the rest of this balance sheet until they do a final production number in January. Um, so whatever numbers, whatever acreage numbers we see at the end of the month will be the USDA numbers. And it is done via survey. It's not the USDA pushed in paper. Um, you know, so they're they're going to try to get it as accurate as they possibly can. And the surveys are always the the ones that, uh, the reports that we really like seeing the most because it's not just uh, a statistical analysis uh, number coming out of thin air, right? So um, yeah, we're going to put a lot, of, a lot of weight on this report at the end of the month. We usually do. This is one of the biggest reports of the year. Now, as far as what I'm seeing and you know, talking to my guys all over the place, uh, first of all, I have a hard time thinking that combined row crop acreage is going to be over a 180. That would be a record um, or, or a 180.5 million acre uh, combined row crop number would be a record. And just this just doesn't seem like the climate to me that we would be putting in a record. Uh, we know we've had a lot of problems up in the Dakotas. There's some acres that just aren't going to get planted there. Uh, so that by itself, I think, takes that number down. And, you know, I think the core number will come down from the 97 million. Uh, the question is by how much. Uh, currently, I'm thinking somewhere between 94 and a half and 95 and a half million acres for corn. And that leaves the question, what happens for soybeans? Uh, I think a lot of people will argue that the soybean acreage number will go up a million or two acres from the 83 and a half million. I could see that. Um, but like I said, you know, just going into it, I thought, 180.5 would be too much for row crops combined. So I think a world exists where we can take 2 million acres, 2.5 million acres out of corn and not really add a whole bunch of soybean acres. But I'd be comfortable saying that the soybean acreage number 
probably could be around 84 to 84 and a half million acres, maybe just up a, a half a million to a million from where the USDA's intentions number was. So, Ted, while we're talking soybeans, specifically talking new crop, we have seen exceptional demand in the past three weeks from China. Logged another big flash sale today, 320,000 mm-hmm. metric tons shipping over to China. New crop uh, in particular. What's your read on the demand situation for China and why aren't we seeing this reflected in pricing as of yet? Yeah, you know, see, I, I think the disappointment is that the realization is coming or, or uh, I mean, there's been a lot of people that have doubted the phase one trade deal from from the get go. But I think the realization is happening that, you know, to hit the phase one numbers, to hit the USDA's uh, export numbers, we really have to be setting records for export sales and shipments between now and the end of the year. And that doesn't seem like it's going to really happen. So the new crop sales are all well and good, but we want to see it right now. The market wants to see it right now. Um, I would say this, you know, we have seen the USDA cut soybean exports the last two reports. Um, and I think very justifiably so. They might have to cut it one more time, maybe 25 million bushels, maybe upwards of 50 million. But I don't think it'll get much worse than that. And I would also say with all the new crop business that we're seeing, whatever is cut from old crop and um, uh, export demand is probably going to get transferred over to new crop export demand. And I do think that China very likely will be buying hot and heavy for next year unless we start up with the trade war again. So I'm very optimistic about that. I'm optimistic the USDA is understating demand, uh, export demand for soybeans for next year. They're already at a 395 million bushel carryover, which in my mind is a fairly tight scenario, one of the tightest scenarios we've seen in a while, which to me means we really don't have a whole lot of room for error on this soybean crop. <clears throat> we need to hit a trend line yield. We need at least that 83 and a half million acres. If either one of those comes in below, that that uh, that ending stocks number gets really pretty tight very quickly downwards to what we call pipeline, which is 180 million bushel. That's the minimum amount that we can really have comfortably without saying, hey, we're out of soybeans. So with that risk and, in, in, you know, soybeans, we'll be watching weather until we get into August. Um, I would think there's there's more reason to continue to add risk premium in for soybeans. And I think corn would follow, especially with the funds being as short as they are. So I see more ups potential. Uh, for soybeans in particular, but I think corn can follow along. So I'm looking at the bean chart, looking at the corn chart and the time of year and the weather and saying, yeah, I, I, we've got more strength in front of us. Ted, what about the wheat markets? Do they have some strength ahead of them? They were uh, really the only grain market to end well on the day. Yeah, you know, we had really beaten up the wheat market. So we were due for a bit more of a, a bounce back. And, you know, if you look at where wheat is trading and has been trading for the last few months, we've got a, a lot of support down below us in July, Chicago. We haven't spent a whole lot of time below $5. You know, we started uh, early in the day. We, we dipped down below it, but we were able to come back up above it. Um, it you know, wheat, I think, has just found a level where we don't really need to go down much further. If we go back to the USDA report we saw last week, it wasn't terribly bullish, um, but it's you know pretty similar to the story that we've been talking about for some time. I think we've priced all that really in. And, and again, I don't see a whole lot of downside potential for the wheat, but we might just be sideways in this range for wheat for some time. And in the range I'm talking about, you know, if you look at Chicago wheat, we're probably talking $5 to $5.50, sort of in that level. Uh, if you get some strength in the row crops, wheat will want to follow. But I don't really have a compelling reason why wheat needs to go to $6 plus at this point either. Gotcha. Ted, let's jump over to the world of livestock. We continue to see slaughter pace almost on par with last year in terms of number of head, but we are slaughtering heavier animals. We're putting more beef, 
beef rather out there in the market. Is this something you think we've kind of plateaued here in the futures market? We're just waiting for a cash price to come down throughout the summer or a future is going to start moving back to the upside. Yes, you Mike, we are literally killing it. Uh, you know, a lot of us, uh, a lot of the talking heads thought that it would take a much, much, much longer time to get back to the kill capacity that we have. Um, and, and, you know, we're not above and beyond where we have been in years past, but we, we certainly have closed the gap very quickly. Um, so that's good. I mean, that's like you said, yes, weights are high, but those numbers have been coming down and a lot of heat in the plains, I think will continue to help with that. Um, I think domestic demand stays really very strong. So, yes, while I, we needed to sort of take a breather here with a rally, uh, and we've certainly done that, um, I'm still optimistic. And, and, you know, Monday's trade was a really nice reversal higher off of key support. I'm wondering if that buying is going to maybe carry over here for the next few days, and that could bring us up back to the high end of the range that we've been in, maybe challenge those highs. So just from a demand perspective, uh, I think cash can stay strong, maybe get stronger. We've been trading at a discount to cash anyway, so we might try to catch up on that a little bit. Um, but I'm optimistic that there's more upside potential. However, watch today's Monday's lows very closely in the August live cattle. If we get down below that, then we've got some trouble. And then the chart's telling us something different is going on. Is the same echo true for the lean hawk markets, Ted, or is there a different story going on there? No, you know, it's, it's a similar story. Um, you know, always when you talk about uh, cattle and hogs, we've got different cycles, right? So when we were getting rid of or culling hogs, um, you know, it's something that can be replaced pretty quickly. Uh, on Monday, it was interesting to see that we were bull spreading on a day where we were higher, which is what you typically look for in an upward market. But hogs have had a reason to be kind of more optimistic or more bullish those deferred months. Um, so Monday's trade was kind of interesting for me personally. I think the December hog chart looks really good. I, I would also say the August chart uh, looks really good. And like we similar to wheat been putting in a long-term sort of basing formation and there's upside potential available here. Uh, but I'm more bullish in the late fall into early winter. So that December contract is where I'm choosing to express my bullishness. But I'm also talking to producers saying, Hey, I don't think I'd be aggressively hedging right here. I'd be looking for higher prices to do so until something changes or something changes on the chart that makes makes us change our mind. Ted, the brokers, you and Dan and Joe over at the Zaner Group have been working with farmers across the country during all of this craziness to help manage the risk. If we've got any listeners who want to get in touch with you, how can they do it? Yeah, you know, you can reach me directly uh, at 312-277-0113. Uh, that number finds me whether I'm in the office or not. So you can catch me pretty much any day. Aside from that, you can find us on the web at www.zaner, that's Z-A-N-E-R.com. You can read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our, our morning Ag Hedge update newsletter, which uh, yours truly right, or Mr. Mike Pearson writes. Uh, <laughs> and then aside from that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the Ted Spread. Fantastic, folks. Check out Ted. He is a font of knowledge when it comes to agriculture. Ted, thanks for chatting with us today. Hey, pleasure's all mine, guys. You have a great day. Well, again, a big thank you there to Ted. You can catch him on Twitter at the Ted Spread. That's probably one of the easiest ways to get a hold of him. And he's always tweeting some interesting things. But so are we here on the Ag News Daily podcast. You can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.